The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Ephesians 6, 10-20 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you. Um, My name is Ben, as uh, Jimmy mentioned before, and I'm from Rosalie Baptist Church in Brisbane. Um, Joe Calm, one of the other pastors, came here uh, a couple of months ago, I think, um, and shared um, the word with you. Um, So, yeah, so I'm married. I um, have two kids. Eloise is my wife over there. Um, And, um, yeah, we're in that busy uh, phase of life with young kids. Not a lot of sleep. A lot of chasing your tail around <laughs> most days, but it's a lot of fun and we really um, enjoy it and we're grateful to God for his kindness. Um, and just as a special word as well, just a real encouragement from the eldership at Rosalie. Uh, we love um, to hear the, the way that God is working in and amongst um, your church here at Life Centre Caloundra. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to extend a, a welcome from the elders at Rosalie and um, we rejoice in the partnership that we share in the gospel. Um, so yeah, As we start, I'm going to pray, and then we'll um, get stuck into God's Word. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. We thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he was raised to new life. And we thank you that you have equipped us by sending your Holy Spirit to indwell us. Father, as we come to your Word now, would you soften our hearts open our ears, and um, help us to switch on our minds to understand uh, the truth of the gospel. And may your spirit apply it to our hearts so that we can live for your glory and for your kingdom. For our joy, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking if anyone is a fan of superhero movies. Hands up. Yep, we've got a couple here. Yep, that's fine. Awesome. So we've got a a couple of fans of superhero movies. Um, I I wonder, just ponder this question, how many superhero movies do you think have been made uh, since the year 2000 and now? Rhetorical question. I don't need an answer. Um, So anyway, whether you're a DC fan or a Marvel fan, there have been a ridiculous amount of superhero movies released. Since 2005... Uh, there have been 47 superhero movies between DC and Marvel alone. That's an average of just over three uh, superhero movies every year. 
And so even though different people might define superhero movies different ways, and we might have different figures as to what defines a superhero movie, we can all understand that there is this kind of love and this obsession for superhero figures. And so it's, it's something that we understand and it's something that we love as a culture, this battle between good and evil. As a society, we are infatuated with superhero stories. From Batman to Superman, from Wonder Woman to Spider-Man, each year people roll into the cinemas and they pack these cinemas out to watch these epic stories play out. So the question has to be asked this morning, why are we so drawn to these characters? Why are we so drawn to these stories, these narratives? Well, I'm sure we could come up with any number of reasons why, but I think there's a one reason in particular that these uh, stories capture our imagination. Because we love this epic battle that happens between good and evil. In pretty much every superhero story, there is a vigilante like Batman who has made it his goal to protect the city of Gotham from those who seek to take the city down. There is a battle raging between Batman and his enemies. And so as this conflict rises, you've got these hapless people who live in Gotham who are kind of stuck in this battle. They are kind of in between Batman and, jo- and the Joker, for example. And we love these stories because there's, in some sense, in all of us, even when we look at our own hearts, we understand that there is a battle raging on between good and evil, isn't there? It takes place in every single one of our hearts. And this is one of the reasons why we're so captivated by these superhero stories. But even more than that, these stories give us hope in the midst of this battle. There is someone in the story, someone who has the ability to step into that battle, like Batman versus the Joker. This person who comes in to fight for us. And this is why I think we love superhero stories. Because these stories portray and display our heart's longing to have a person who is willing and able to rescue desperate and needy people. We long for a saviour. And this is what we see in the story of Batman. He's the saviour of Gotham. He's the protector of Gotham. He is the one that comes in to save the day. And this is what you guys have been studying in the book of Ephesians as you've been looking at the armour of God. Over the last four weeks in particular, you've been working your way through this armour in chapter 6 looking at various pieces of this armour and what it means for us as followers of Jesus as we engage in this fight against sin and Satan and all the spiritual forces of darkness. There are six items that are described in this passage that make up the whole armour of God. These six separate pieces of armour each play a vital role in making up the whole armour. So that if you were to take one of the pieces of armour out, there would be something deficient in the whole. There would be a weakness in the defence system. For example, if we had all of the defence mechanisms in place but didn't have a sword, which is the word of God, as Jimmy reminded you last week, there would be no progress in this battle. We wouldn't advance. We wouldn't see any growth. Likewise, if you can imagine a soldier with his sword but no defence mechanisms, 
you'd be stuffed because they might be able to take down some other enemies, but sooner or later they are going to be overwhelmed. But when all the items are in place, we can expect that we will make progress and we will be protected in this fight because we'll have the whole armour of God, as verse 11 describes. And it is this whole armour which we are told helps us to stand firm. And so far in this series, you've already looked at uh, three of these items. You've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and last week, Jimmy helpfully unpacked for us just how important it is for us to have God's word as a central part of our arsenal. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at the helmet of salvation, which is found in verse 17. And as we consider this text this morning, as we look at this beautiful piece of armour, we are going to see three ways that the helmet of salvation helps us to stand firm in the midst of this spiritual battle that is before us. A number of years ago, when I was a younger guy, usually around the teenage years, boys don't tend to make the wisest of choices. Anyway, I received a text message from a mate of mine who we both had a mutual friend who had unfortunately been involved in a skateboarding accident. And so he'd been sent to the hospital to get some tests done. At this stage, I didn't have any details as to what had happened or the nature of the accident. But as time progressed, details around this accident started to unfold. As these details came to the surface, we started to understand a bit more of what happened. Some of you might know the Gateway Bridge down in Brisbane, so it, it goes across the Brisbane River from um, Eagle Farm to Murray, and it is a huge bridge. It's this slow, steady incline that goes for a, long, a really long distance. And it's on one of the bridges that's got this probably about a two-metre-wide concrete path. And what we came to find out is this was the, the, um, the place of choice for our mates to ride his skateboard down, um, which, trust me, this is what teenage boys do. <laughs> it's silly. Um, and so as he's going down, he's decided to go down this gateway bridge. All the cars are flying on the side on this footpath. He's going down. And he's done about five runs, and he's flying, and he's done brilliant, and he's got, his confidence is up. And then he finally goes, I'll just go one more, one more go, one more run. And so down he goes, the gateway bridge, flying down, and then he finally comes off, and he has an accident. But the striking part of this story is that we later found out that he wasn't wearing a helmet. And so for the next two weeks, he was stuck in a neuro ward at the PA hospital waiting for the swelling in his brain to reduce and for his memory to slowly come back. I can't remember exactly, but I think he'd kind of lost memory from about the week before the event. Needless to say, helmets have been worn since that event. Again, this highlights the reason why we wear helmets, because helmets provide protection and support for the most vital organ in our body. Everything that we do with our body relies upon clear messages going down from the brain and coming back from the body to the brain. If our brain shuts down, or if our spinal cord is um, severed in some way, our body becomes useless, absolutely useless. If our head is taken away, there's, it's absolutely meaningless. It doesn't matter how fit you are, how big you are, how buff you are, how strong you are. 
If you don't have a head communicating that message, it's going to be stuffed. It's a bit like taking an engine out of a car or a com- having a computer without a CPU. Our heads are vitally important for our bodies to work. With it, we have life, but without it, we are dead. And this is why Paul connects salvation to a helmet in verse 17. What he means is that salvation is the single most important reality in the Christian life. Let me say that again. Salvation, and by that I mean the good news about Jesus Christ, is the single most important reality in the life of a Christian. And just like if you take away the head from a body, it loses all of its life and vitality and becomes lifeless. So too, without the helmet of salvation in place, the believer is at risk of losing their head in battle. I cannot stress enough just how important salvation is to the life of a believer. If we have it, we have life. If we lose it, we have no life. And that's why it needs to be protected. And this is the first reason why we need the helmet of salvation. Because the gospel is the very thing that protects us from our sin and the evil that exists around us. The helmet of salvation protects our mind. It protects the way that we think. And it protects the central nervous system that governs our entire body. Yes, we are in a battle. Yes, we are in the middle of thick warfare. But if we have our um, helmet of salvation in place, we're going to be okay. It'll neutralise blows. It'll subdue blows. We'll still get the blows, but they're not going to be fatal. They're not going to be fatal blows. Um, This helmet that Paul is describing here is actually uh, an image of a Roman soldier. And this helmet, um, really, the only way it could be penetrated was by super close combat where someone would come with a club or a, a hammer and actually get through to it. Like, this, this is a serious piece of kit. And so he says, you have to have this helmet of salvation because without it, the most important reality in your life will be in jeopardy. So if our salvation in Jesus is the single most important reality in the Christian life, then we should probably know what that salvation is, shouldn't we? What is Paul speaking about when he uses the term salvation? What does this salvation entail? What does it include? And so I thought it would be helpful for the next few moments for us to hear a a picture, a brief picture, a summary of what Paul has described in the first four chapters of the letter. So hear me out. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, these words are true for you. So listen to this beautiful snapshot of how Paul describes salvation. You are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. You are predestined to be adopted as God's sons and daughters. You are redeemed through his blood and forgiven of every sin that you and I have committed in the past, we continue to commit in the present, and will commit in the future. 
You are sealed by the Holy Spirit who guarantees your eternal inheritance and future resurrection life with Jesus. Catch this one. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, for you were children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You are saved by God's grace, and this is completely God's gift to you. There is nothing you can contribute to your salvation. It is all done by God. You have been given good works to do by Jesus for his kingdom and for his glory. You have been joined to the most diverse community on the planet, the church. In this letter, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles, sworn enemies in the past who are now united together in one man. People from all kinds of backgrounds, you are one in Christ. You, have been, you are partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. You partake of this promise because of Jesus. Christ dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been given gifts by the ascended Lord Jesus to serve in his kingdom. God has given you ministers of the word like Jimmy to equip you to serve in his kingdom. And you have been given a new life and you can pursue holiness and reject sin by the power of the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful picture of who we are in Jesus? Isn't that a wonderful picture of this salvation? Sometimes I think we can think about salvation as like, oh, I was a sinner and Jesus kind of saved me. But this is a cosmic, all-encompassing salvation. It's this kind of salvation that gives you a new identity. This salvation transforms us, it changes us, it empowers us, it equips us, it secures us. The first reason why we need the helmet of salvation is because it protects the most important reality in our Christian walk. And if that organ is protected, Satan will never be able to fire a fatal blow towards you. Friends, salvation is not a sideshow for the Christian. Our salvation in Jesus is what it's all about. That is the show. So take up and put on your helmet of salvation and you will be protected from the evil one. Before I went into full-time ministry, I used to work as a registered nurse in a hospital in Brisbane. And one of the aspects of working in a hospital that is often forgotten, I think, is the fact that there is an invisible enemy that confronts any healthcare worker before they walk into the hospital. And that is the war against infection. Over the last 12 months, all of us have learned what personal protective equipment is. We all now know what masks are and gloves are and why we need to hand wash and all of those sorts of things. And so you have now just been welcomed into my life as a nurse. Um, And so what we do every single day. We've all had this problem of having to wear masks. And it's a bit frustrating, I know. And so as we've thought about this, we now have started to realise that there is an invisible enemy that we face every single day of our lives. 
And one of the requirements of being a healthcare worker is that I had to be vaccinated against a bunch of different viral diseases before I was able to be given the job. Things like hep, hep B, uh, measles, mumps and rubella and polio, things like that, they won't even let me go to the workplace unless I have these vaccinations. But the thing that this actually provided me, it gave me no proof that I would be protected from them, but what it provided me was the confidence to go to work and actually look after the patients, to actually take care of them. It was like this extra layer of protection that I had going to work. It filled me with confidence. And this is the same thing that happens when we put on the armour of God. It doesn't just have a, uh, a, a protective function. The protective function actually changes the way that we think about the battle. So think about it. If you're at an Olympic Games and you're going to see a fencing battle between two guys, they're both of equal um, kind of skill and ability and they show up and they're both vying for the gold medal. One guy walks out with all of his kit, he's got his sword, he's got his armour, he's got everything on there, and the other guy walks out with everything except his helmet. Which of the two is going to feel confident in that battle? I can guarantee it's going to be the guy wearing the helmet because he is not going to get hurt in this battle. The other guy, though, is going to be fearful. He's going to be kind of worried, not because he lacks skill, but because he doesn't have the right equipment on board. So I can guarantee you the guy who had the helmet would feel more confident as he engages in this um, competitive act. And this is exactly what armour does. Even defensive armour, like a helmet. We kind of sometimes think something defensive is kind of not great, it's kind of not contributing much, is it? But the reality is it's actually instilling confidence in the person wearing it. You know what it's like? Like, you think about someone like Iron Man, for example... Tony Stark, he's kind of just out there as a human. He's a, he's a powerful kind of guy, but once he's in his Iron Man suit, he can, he can take on the world. And so that's a little bit like what this armour does for us. It instills us, instills us with confidence. But the key to understanding this confidence is to know where it actually comes from. Look closely with me at verse 17 again. And take the helmet of salvation... The verb there, to take, is actually, could actually be better translated as received or take hold of. You see, the point of this here, of taking the helmet, is not, I'm going out to grab the helmet. No, 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 I'm going to just grab what's already been given to me. That's the idea of this verb. And, and so the sense of this word is not to grab in our own strength, but to simply receive the helmet the salvation that God has already given you. You cannot earn it. You cannot win God's favour. You cannot twist God's arm to love you any more or less by your performance. We are saved by God's grace alone and not by our works. It is his free gift to us. And this is why we can have confidence as followers of Jesus because he is the one that actually gifts salvation to us. Through his death on the cross, Jesus reigns in victory already over sin, Satan, and death. And our salvation is absolutely guaranteed. And he gives us this helmet, and we simply have to receive it. 
The second way that the helmet enables us to stand in the fight against the devil is because it fills us with confidence in God's ability to win the victory on our behalf. It gives us the confidence and the freedom to engage in the battle with the devil and his schemes because Jesus has triumphed over him already. And if we think about the book of Ephesians as well, where where Paul actually outlines that he has given us good works to walk in, to serve his kingdom. Friends, this is an opportunity for us to go, we've got the helmet of salvation, so let's go into our world and love them to bits. There is a world who is longing for this kind of hope, this kind of security. And we, we now have been equipped to go out into the world and win people for Jesus. You are equipped, so go. So far we have seen that the helmet protects us and we've seen that it gives us confidence. And the third function of a helmet, I think, is that it identifies us as Jesus' followers. In any military battle, troops are recognised by their uniform. Troops are recognised by their uniform. The ancient Roman soldier, for example, could be recognised from a mile away with his little puffy bit of um, horsehair stuff that he had going on the top there. You could notice them from a mile away, right? When you wear your uniform, you are noticeable. We also know that even from modern day combat. Even when you watch World War II movies, you'd see a Nazi helmet and you'd know German. That's how it works. And so the helmet doesn't just protect, it doesn't just give confidence, the helmet identifies who the soldier is representing, who the soldier is fighting on behalf of. The helmet of salvation that Paul is using here is actually drawn from Isaiah 59, where God is described as a mighty warrior. It's not language we tend to think about when we think about God. We kind of tend to think about God being loving, or we might even think about God being just. But God being a mighty warrior is not a category that we tend to think of God in. But if we look at the Bible, it's actually quite a prominent theme. And even in Ephesians, it talks about Jesus ascending on high. That language is conquer language. Jesus is our mighty warrior. But the way that he wins victories is by sacrificing himself and laying down his life for his followers. Laying down his life for his sheep. And so we've got this language that Paul is dragging from Isaiah 59 of God being a a mighty warrior. And in this Isaiah passage, God promises that one day he will win a mighty victory for his people. The passage in Isaiah is describing what God is going to do in the future for God's people. If you like, Isaiah is looking this side of the cross and kind of going, God is going to win, our God who is a mighty warrior is going to win a victory, a mighty victory for us. And now Paul grabs it and flips it on on the other side and goes, God will do that, but in what we have in Ephesians, this is what God has done. It is completed. The, the, the war is over. There will be kind of spot battles that pop up here and there, but the war is a sure-gone conclusion. Isaiah is looking forward to what God will do. Paul's looking back to what God has done in the gospel. 
And so when we put on the armour of God and we don our helmets, we are saying that we are on Team Jesus. And the beauty of being on Team Jesus is in the fact that the war is already, already won. The war is already won. Even though we continue to wrestle against darkness, even though we continue to wrestle against sin, even though there are times that we feel like we're on the losing side in our world, the war is already won. This is a hard concept for us to understand. So let me um, use something that I heard recently from a minister who shared this analogy, and I found it really helpful. Has anyone played chess before? Yep, hopefully people have played chess. Um, I am a shocker at it. I'm terrible. I'm no good at it. But there is a point where someone who's really good at chess, they'll be able to get you in checkmate super quick. And I'm definitely one of those people that gets in checkmate super quick. You know when you kind of just have this air of confidence and you make a move and then you realise, oh man. That's what it's like when I play chess. But when you're in checkmate, you can still move your pieces. You're still moving around. But wherever you move, you're still stuffed. That's a little bit like what it's like with Satan being defeated. He might be able to move around, but at every point, he's under Jesus' thumb. Jesus has always got him in checkmate. And so that's kind of what it's like for us as we continue in this battle. We aren't meant to see ourselves as identifying with the team that's kind of wrestling with evil or wrestling with Satan. It's kind of like, I'll let you do that for a little bit, Satan, but you can only <laughs> do so much. Satan and the devil is under Jesus' finger. And so the third reason we need to take up the helmet of salvation is because it identifies us as God's people. As the people who have been saved by Jesus, who are joined to his body, the church. And this is really important for us to grasp. And I want to help you guys think about this as a church. That your core identity... Your core purpose is found in the fact that you are united to Jesus. Whether you are married or single, old or young, employed, unemployed, strong or weak, male or female, you, your true identity is found in Jesus. All of these categories that we kind of have in our world, which are not bad, they're not fundamentally wrong, but they will kind of shift and change as life goes on. But one thing that will never change is the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ and the union that you have with him. So let's think about this practically for a moment. When we, when, when we are told to take up the helmet of salvation, what does that actually look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, if we look at the, the, the last little bit of Ephesians chapter 5 and, and the first little bit of Ephesians chapter 4, I want to take a leaf out of Paul's book and think about how he applies the text before this section that we're looking at. Wives and husbands. Paul says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And wives, submit to your husbands out of reverence for God. Life-centered church, this is, in your marriages, this is an opportunity for you to show that you are identified with Jesus. 
We live in a world that is really confused about the beauty of marriage as God has designed it. So go into the world and show the world the beauty of what it looks like to have husbands who lay down their life for their wife so that they would flourish. And women who would support and serve and love their husbands because there's this beautiful um, image of service of one another in that. Do that in your marriages. Children and parents. The kids have all gone, but I'll, I'll speak to any parents here. Invite your kids to see the beauty of what obedience is to your, parent, to your parenting. Love them into that as well. Don't just kind of, um, kind of smack them down by showing them, no, 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 you need to obey me. But just show them the beauty of identifying with Jesus. Because when we obey Jesus, we find life. So invite them into that. And workers, the text kind of talks about slaves and masters, but I mean, our, our modern day equivalent of that is kind of how we function at work. We are donning on the helmet of salvation and we are walking into our workplaces and we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So love your colleagues. Even if there are colleagues you struggle to get along with, love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Invite them to church. Give them a taste of what the gospel is like. Invite them into your homes. Build community with them. Because I can guarantee you that there is something beautiful in the church community. There is something beautiful to taste. If you're a Christian this morning... I trust that this message has been an encouragement for you. That your salvation is complete. You are complete in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'd invite you to please chat with someone, either someone you've come with or chat to Jimmy um, or even just go back and read the scriptures, read the whole of Ephesians and see the beauty of this salvation that Jesus has won for you. I know that Jimmy would love the opportunity to share the good news of this hope that we have in Jesus. So put on the helmet of salvation. It'll protect you. It'll instill you with confidence. And it will be the way that you show the world Jesus in the way that you live your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 